Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.com or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear friends. This is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, once again bringing you another study into the reality of angels. Indeed, dear friends, you'll know if you join me for my last sermon that I brought forth a study looking deeper at the two archangels, Gabriel and Michael. I proved in that particular study that angels were extremely literal and that they did many miraculous works throughout the pages of our Bible. So in this part, I want to begin on a verse that's found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. It says this, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby have some entertained angels unawares. End quote. Stopping right there, there's a teaching from the author of the book of Hebrews telling you, That we should be kind towards strangers. That's not to say kind towards any person of any caliber. That is to say that oftentimes angels appear as men. And I, perhaps even you, can testify of this fact. For there have been times in my life that I can think of where I look back and I say, Hey, this man was almost angel-like. This man came to me in a time of need. This man fulfilled the commandment of Yahweh God by feeding me when I was hungry, by clothing me when I was homeless. Now, can I come straight out and say that this particular person is an angelic host? No, not specifically. But that's why the author of Hebrews chapter 13 says to not be forgetful. That means do not forget to entertain strangers. That is, to be kind to Adamic strangers. Why? Because thereby have some entertained angels unawares. Perhaps this is the reason why we are commanded to get along peaceably with all men, if that be possible. Indeed, oftentimes it's not possible, and there's many people who claim to be Christian identity who love violating the law of God nonstop. That's easy to point out, dear friends. That's easy to see. But is it that easy to see those who slip in that little bit of leaven. Those who come along and may abide with you, may be even able to identify the enemy, but then they'll come and they'll say, hey, you know what? There's no devil. There's no angels. There's no angelic host at all. Indeed, they do exist and they're considered to be single seed liners. This verse that we're reading, that's found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, that we're beginning this morning on, it doesn't teach necessarily that all angels are humans, but only that they oftentimes have the appearance of men, as we were created in their image and Yahweh's. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where Yahweh God says, Come, let us go down and make man in our image. 
And so it stands to reason. If we're created in the image of Yahweh God and His angels, well, that is the reason why this commandment exists. This is why we are charged as the faithful remnant to be kind towards strangers, quote-unquote, towards people we may not understand. And also found within Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, is another command to not judge. Because if we walk around judging people, these strangers, for example, they, as angels, are not able to work the will of Yahweh God within our life. So in this morning's study, I am going to prove that cherubim had the ability to entice and or seduce or lie with women like Eve. And this fact was not only taught by Jesus and John the Baptist, but also by several early church fathers. And we'll be covering them in this very study. So now it is that I would like to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 18. And in Luke's Gospel... Chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus Christ says, quote, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, end quote. That's Jesus speaking, do you hear him? And he says, I beheld Satan, my adversary, fall from heaven. And we know that the rest of Scripture says, no man has seen God face to face and lived. No man has seen heaven. That this Satan who fell from heaven, who I might add is capitalized and personified here, was the archenemy of all things good. We have a second witness for this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 14 we read, quote, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, end quote. Now, here we're being taught that a fallen angel named Satan straightforwardly oftentimes will transform himself into an angel of light. What does that mean? That means that oftentimes he'll give you a little bit of truth. Satan's position is to take the place of God. Satan's position, more specifically, is across the mercy seat, being the anointed cherub that covereth, directly across from Michael. And as it is, Satan is the accuser of our brethren. Michael does not bring railing accusation. Michael only says, as Jesus does, when he was tempted of Satan in the wilderness, as per our own Gospels. He says, the Lord rebuke thee. Period. He doesn't have to drop and say, well, Satan, you fell. Satan, you took a third with you. Satan, you seduced the daughters of Adam. Yahweh God knows all those things. And so what we learn from the example of Michael, the warring angel, is that oftentimes we should not argue with the devil. You just rebuke him, you go about your business. And if your business is warring against the fallen, then so be it. But two witnesses, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And also, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of life. So, for us, understanding the fact that our Christian adversary is also a son of God, or a quote-unquote morning star, as per Job chapter 38, verse 7, this should help believers to understand why Lucifer's own name means brightness, or the morning star. You can, of course, confirm that by looking it up in a Strong's Concordance. Lucifer is Hebrew number 1966, and as I've proven... It means bright and morning star, more specifically the early star, because it is truly Him who comes first. It is truly Him who deceives the entire world. It is Satan who comes at the sixth seal, the sixth trump, and the sixth vial when it's poured out. 
But it is Yahshua Messiah who returns at the seventh of all of those. So beware, Satan it is who comes early, comes first, and many will be deceived. Many follow his pernicious ways, and of course we know Thessalonians says that that day, the day of Yahweh, will not come until that man of sin is revealed. Again, Satan is seen as a man just as Gabriel is considered a man of God. But that does not mean that they are only men. For example, consider this. Revelation says, Who has wisdom will count the number of the beast. For it is a what? A human number. Satan himself appears as men and works through men, as do his fallen angels. And that's an entirely different study for another day. But we know from the book of Enoch that the offsprings of the Nephilim that we'll be covering today went on to become known as demons, went on to cause plagues for the children of Israel, sowing all sorts of mischief. So it was Jesus Christ who oftentimes taught on the great white throne judgment. And he tells us in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, quote, Then shall he, the king, say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, end quote. That's the gospel of Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. And here, from Jesus' own statement, the Christian identists like you and I, we should be able to see that the adversary unmistakably has his own angels. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 further confirms this fact, quote, The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out onto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, end quote. So here we've already covered two important points. According to the Revelator, the great dragon, who's also the devil and Satan, and considered to be a serpent, like we read about in the book of Genesis, was cast out. He was cast out more specifically by that archangel Michael when they warred, when they argued over the body of Moses. And I might add, dear kinsfolk, it's easy to say, hey, the body of Moses is just Moses' dead physical body. But what is the body of Moses? It would be representative of the government, more specifically, the law. Because the body of work that Moses had charge over was the government. And it would have been Aaron who had charge over the things of Scripture. Moses represented the government and or God's law. And Aaron represented the priesthood, which is God's word. So when Michael and Satan are arguing over the body of Moses, it's a polite way of saying they're arguing over the law. In a spiritual sense. And if you want to take it on face value, that's fine too. But we see here from Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 in Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 that a dragon is cast out. That Yahweh God it is himself who will say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And those angels and Satan himself is what the lake of fire or the lake of quote-unquote everlasting fire, is prepared, quote-unquote, for. Meaning, it is the very reason Yahweh God created hell. Now, God who's all-loving, God who's omnipotent, isn't necessarily waking up saying, hey, who am I going to send to hell today? He's not that sadistic. But the reason hell, or the lake of fire, was created was for the devil. 
Now, when we understand that, leave it to the single seed liner to come along and say, hey, there's no devil, when that was the very purpose of what this lake of everlasting fire was created for. Matthew chapter 25. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Because they were cast out. There was a war in heaven. And we cannot make the mistake of justifying this away. There's five blatantly obvious facts that we've already covered today. Number one, Satan is also called the devil, that old serpent, and the great dragon in Scripture. Number two, this same tempter is able to deceive the whole world, or simply put, those of the world. Again, John 8.44, when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. Those that consider Satan's lies as truth are his children. We also learn, number three, Satan has angels of his own. They're also referred to in our own Bibles as evil spirits, or more specifically and simply, demons. Number four, both Satan and his fallen angels were cast out from Yahweh's company down to earth, where we dwell. And number five, like Enoch confirms, everlasting fire or eternal torment is both reserved and prepared, meaning created for Satan and his fallen angels. Stands the reason, does it not? Yahweh God cannot be made a liar. And Yahweh God tells you the cause and effect of his word. Time and time again throughout the law, he'll say, if you obey me, then I'll add you to these blessings. But if you disobey me, I'll add you to these curses. Now, do we as the listener somehow think that the law was given for just us when Yahweh God Himself is locked and tied to it, cannot break it? Are we going to come along and say, well, angels are above the law? They are not. But that is what Satan thought. Satan, who was literally the anointed cherub that covereth, who truly was above the law in a physical, literal sense, believed he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted the reverence that was due Yahweh. He wanted to be worshipped and revered. And he still does today. That is why oftentimes he will serpentially and very subtly pretend to be your friend. But once you recognize who he is and who his children are, well, suddenly the mask comes off. Suddenly the devil and his children no longer try to pretend that they're your friend anymore. But be that as it may, the devil is literal. And we can read in Job chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. Quote, Shall mortal man be more than just God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? And I might add right here, dear kinsfolk, for those of you who are emailing this ministry wanting to know what happened to our Friday time slot, the servant's not above his master. Shall a mortal man be more than just God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. End quote. It was Yahweh God himself who charged many of the fallen, rebellious angels with folly. Of course, we know this was Yahweh's plan. We know it was as well. Because mortal man is neither more pure nor just than Yahweh. But this question that we read about in Job chapter 4, it further proves the authenticity of Yahweh charging His disobedient angels for their actions. As we read about in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 7, we read about the angels that took from among the daughters of Adam. We read about this in more detail in the book of Enoch. 
Their lawlessness in taking wives from among the Adamite daughters is what caused God to bring the flood upon the world of the ungodly, quote-unquote, as per the words of Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And you know this verse, I've preached on it time and time again, but their lawlessness, their iniquity, their inability to obey Yahweh God and break through the bounds of their habitation was what caused the flood in Noah's day. It's also what caused the mixing. It caused what brought forth demons into existence. And we're going to cover some of that very briefly this morning. But Job chapter 4 proves that man is nothing bigger than God. That Satan's no bigger than God. And as Christ taught, the servant is not above their master. If you come into someone else's living room, dear friends, you best abide by their rules. That's how it works. If you go into a courthouse, you had best try to dress yourself up and respect the judge. If you understand that scripture says man judges you according to how you look, how you act. Is it fair? No, dear friends, it isn't. Yahweh God will judge your hearts, but a wise man knows. And as a result, a wise man will then take measures into making sure he does everything that Yahweh God wants him to do. The Apostle Peter himself confirms the teachings of both Jesus and Enoch regarding the same fallen angels when he wrote, quote, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. That's Second Peter chapter 2 verse 4. That's the verse preceding. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, where it talks about the flood upon the world of the ungodly that was sent because of miscegenation and going after strange flesh at the time. Furthermore, it was Jude, the brother of Christ, who goes beyond our much-needed double witness by adding, in Jude chapter 1, verse 6, quote, The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He who, Yahweh God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now stopping right there. What? The offspring. Jude, the brother of Christ, says, Angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, God reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So what exactly is being expressed here? What exactly is being said? Well, if you turn with me this morning to the book of Enoch chapter 6, and we can begin reading in verse 1, but Enoch chapter 6 says this, quote, It came to pass when the angels of men had multiplied in those days that were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them, and said one to another, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men, and beget us children. And Semjaza, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they who, the fallen angels, all answered and said, Let us all swear an oath, and bind ourselves by mutual imprecations not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then swore they all together and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. That is the book of Enoch again, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And what that proves is exactly what we read about in Genesis chapter 6, where we read the same account, where the rebellious angels of Yahweh God saw 
the offspring in Noah's day of the Adamite men. And they took from among them. They intermixed within them, bringing giants and or tyrants, bastards, into the land. And they, of course, are reserved for that day of judgment. And this is nothing new, my friends. As I began this morning's study, I pointed out that many of the church fathers taught dual-seed-line Christian identity. Why? Well, they were dual-seed-line Christian identity. This is just the title that we give true Christianity today because it follows the Bible. So, Tertullian, in his book, Flesh of Christ, which was written in 2010 A.D., says in the 17th book, in the 14th verse, quote, Likewise, through a virgin, the Word of God was introduced to set up a structure of life. Thus, what had been laid waste in ruin by this sex, referencing Eve and her seduction, I might add, was by the same sex reestablished in salvation. Eve had believed the serpent. Mary believed Gabriel. That which the one destroyed by believing, Eve, the other by believing set straight, end quote. So here we see a reference and a parallel between the seduction of Eve and the virtuousness of Mary, the physical mother of Christ. Also, Justin Martyr straightforwardly said in chapter 11 of his book, Apologia, which was written in 150 A.D., quote, Christ became a man by the virgin that the disobedience which issued from the serpent might be destroyed in the same way it originated. Eve was still an undefiled virgin when she conceived of the serpent and brought forth disobedience and death. But the virgin received faith and joy at the announcement of the angel Gabriel, and she replied, Be it done to me according to your word. So, through the meditation of the virgin, he who, Yeshua Messiah, came into the world, through whom God would crush the serpent again. That's St. Justin Martyr's Apologia. And this quote is in the 100th chapter. But what we see here is a fulfillment of prophecy. And I'll invite you to swing by my website, covenantpeoplesministry.org, and download two sermons. It shall bruise thy head, thou shall bruise his heel. I believe it's even been reissued, at least in audio format, as a double pack. Because that's an important prophecy. And here, Justin Martyr proves that it was through Mary that Jesus Christ would come and he would crush the head of the serpent as per that ancient prophecy given all the way back in the very beginning, what's considered to be the Protoevangelion. Also, one final quote before continuing on. This is from Arrhenius of Lyons, and it's in his book, Against Heresies. It's in Book 3, Chapter 22, and it's in the fourth paragraph. This, my friends, was written in 189 A.D. Quote, The seduction of a fallen angel drew Eve, a virgin, a spouse to a man, while the glad tidings of the holy angel drew Mary, a virgin already espoused, to begin the plan which would dissolve the bonds of that first snare. For as the former was led astray by the word of an angel, so that she fled from God when she had disobeyed his words, so did the latter, and by angelic communication received the glad tidings that she should bear God, and obeyed his word. 
If the former, meaning Eve, disobeyed God, the latter, meaning Mary, obeyed, so that the Virgin Mary might become the advocate of the Virgin Eve. Thus, as the human race fell into bondage to death by means of a virgin, so it is rescued also by a virgin. And virginal disobedience is balanced in the opposite scale by virginal obedience. End quote. That is why I spent so much time in the last sermon pointing out the parallels between women who have children in old age, as John the Baptist's mother did, and the mother of Isaac. Also, we see a parallel here. Why is it Mary had to be a virgin, a spouse to Joseph? Well, that's because Eve was a virgin, a spouse to Adam. But Eve was disobedient. Eve lie with the devil as per three quotes and our own Bible that I provided you this morning. And Mary had to withstand the devil. And that is why I've given these verses. According to the book of Enoch, there is no doubt that those angels fell. That they intermixed among men. We read about this, of course, again in Genesis chapter 6. And why did they fall? Well, they fell, according to Jude, to be reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, into judgment. That means they're reserved for the great white throne judgment. They're reserved for each and every one of us when we go the same exact way and choose, hey, you know what? I'm going to do things my way. I'm not going to listen to the charge of Yahweh God. That's what Satan did. That's exactly what Eve did. When the serpent came along, that great dragon that we've already confirmed was Satan this morning, when he came to Eve, he said, Yea, hath God said. God did say. God charged Adam, and Adam in turn gave the command and the charge to Eve. But Eve was seduced. She was beguiled. This word, of course, is expatio, and we've covered this in the past in countless studies. I'll invite you to swing by and download our study. If you require further proof of this aspect, Dual Seed Line for Dummies. It's a four-part series, and it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Eve was seduced by the devil, resulting in the offspring of Cain, and we go far above and beyond just this and proving it. We quote from a variety of other sources. So who were the Nephilim? Why were they reserved? Why did this even happen? Well, there's a couple points that we need to cover. When the fallen angels or the sons of God interbred with the daughters of Adam, the resulting offspring were called giants or tyrants. Or simply put, quote, mighty men which were of old, men of renowned, end quote. That's Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. The Hebrew word translated as giant in Scripture is actually Nephilim, which could have been much better rendered as a bully or a tyrant, according to Strong's Hebrew 5303. One of the most interesting parts about this word is that it's taken from the primitive root, Nafal, which plainly means, according to Strong's 5307, fallen or cast down. When you say Nephilim, what you're saying is Nafal, the fallen. One of the fallen ones, that's what a Nephilim means. Both the Book of Enoch and Jubilees go into greater detail about these Nephilim and or watchers. For example... The book of Enoch says in the secrets of Enoch, chapter 18, pay close attention, quote, The men, angels, took me on to the fifth heaven and placed me. And there I saw many and countless soldiers called Grigori of human appearance, and their size was greater than that of great giants, and their faces withered. 
and the silence of their mouths perpetual. And there was no service on the fifth heaven. And I said to the men who were with me, Wherefore are these very withered, and their faces melancholy, and their mouths silenced? And wherefore is there no service on this heaven? Question. Question from Enoch. And they who the angels said unto me, These are the Gregory, who with their prince Sataniel rejected the Lord of light. And after them are those who are held in great darkness on the second heaven. And three of them went down onto earth from the Lord's throne to the place Ermon, and broke through their vows on the shoulder of the hill Ermon, and saw the daughters of men, or the daughters of Adam, how good they are, and took to themselves wives, and befouled the earth with all their deeds, who in all times of their age made lawlessness and mixing. Again, lawlessness and mixing. That's what the Nephilim caused. And giants are born, and marvelous big men, and great enmity. And therefore Yahweh God judged them with a great judgment. And they weep for their brethren, and they will be punished on the Lord's great day. End quote. Again, dear friends, dear listener, that is a quote from the Secrets of Enoch, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. That's merely one quote that proves this point about the Nephilim, the Nephil, those who fell. Another one can be found in the book of Jubilees. And I'm going to throw this at you now. And for that I make no apology. Many people say, well, Pastor Bisser, you throw too much Bible at us. And I say, be that as it may. Listen to it in spurts. Put it up on the shelf. Meditate on it for a little bit. But don't discount the message because I'm throwing a lot of verses at you. What I'm trying to do, dear listeners, equip you with places to go, not only within our authorized King James Bibles, but also in the early church fathers, also in the books of Enoch and the book of Jubilees, and this is one such quote. The book of Jubilees in the seventh chapter says this, beginning in verse 20, quote, In the 28th Jubilee, Noah began to enjoin upon his son's sons the ordinances and the commandments and all the judgments that he knew. And he exhorted his sons to observe righteousness and to cover the shame of their flesh and to bless their Creator and honor father and mother and love their neighbor and guard their souls from fornication, which is mixing, I might add, dear friends, and uncleanliness and all iniquity. For owing to these three things came the flood upon the earth. What? According to Jubilees, the flood sent in the times of Noah was sent there because of fornication, which is mixing, uncleanliness, which is a way of saying that they're not clean in the eyes of Yahweh God, they violate the law, and iniquity, which again is disobedience to Yahweh's charges. That's why Yahweh God sent the flood upon the face of the earth. Namely, owing to the fornication, or mixing, wherein the watchers against the law of their ordinances went a-whoring after the daughters of men, and took themselves wives of all which they chose. And they made the beginning of uncleanliness, and they begat sons, the Nephilim, and they were all unalike, and they devoured one another. And the giant slew the Notphil, and the Notphil slew the Eljo, and the Eljo mankind and one another. And everyone sold himself to work iniquity and to shed much blood. And the earth was filled with iniquity. And after this they sinned against the beasts and the birds 
and all that moves and walks upon the face of the earth. And much blood was shed upon the earth, and every imagination and desire of men imagined vanity and evil continually. End quote. Again, dear friends, that is the book of Jubilees, chapter 7, verses 20 through 24. But they prove right here exactly what I've been trying to bring forth this Sunday morning. And that is, there is a reason for this. We learned, as per the book of Enoch and from other places, we've learned that it was the angels that gave us the very law. It was the angels that taught us how to forge metals, how to play music, how to create even musical instruments, how to bury our dead. So also it was that these fallen angels taught us how to do evil. And it's confirmed here. When these angels fell, when they took and interbred amongst our forefathers and their children, the daughters of Adam, they raised tyrants, they raised bullies. And of course the book of Enoch says the souls and the spirits from those unholy unions are reserved to be demons. They go to and fro. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visitor's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts. You can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. They wreak their mischief in our everyday life, and that is why Yahweh God reserves these Gregory for that great and terrible day. They're also considered to be watchers elsewhere in Scripture, because that's what they do. They watch, they cannot speak, they cannot rail against particular people, but that is what they are meant to do. No wonder it was Yahweh God who sent the flood in upon the world of the ungodly, was it not? Because not only were these angels under the leadership of Sataniel and Samziel lifted up enough to say, I don't have to obey Yahweh God, I can do whatever I want. But look at the mischief they wrought. They caused Yahweh God to become angry with man, to send a flood in upon that area to destroy it and technically start over. And this is part of the reason why he did destroy it. To wipe the face of the bullies and the tyrants off the face of the earth, and to kill all the Nephilim, and reserve them in chains for that great and terrible day, as per Second Peter and Jude. Yahweh God reserved them, because with them there is no excuse. They were created with no free will. They were created to do exactly what they do, which is a third of heaven to fall. You, however, dear friends, have free will. You have the choice to decide whether you want to fall into iniquity or you want to fall under the covenant. The covenant is a promise. It's a conditional promise, which is the contrast and the exact opposite of iniquity. It means I'll obey Yahweh's law and Yahweh in turn will reward me. 
Each and every one of these angels that fell and intermixed amongst the uh, descendants of Noah's time and the people that dwelt in that land said, I don't have to obey and receive my reward in due time. I want it now. I want to get my kicks now. And it was temporal pleasure for a season. If you study the Word of God long enough, dear friends, especially the Old Testament, you'll be able to see that Satan's first attack was against the bloodline all the way back in the book of Genesis. And there were numerous times throughout the Old Testament where he sent this. He tried to destroy that bloodline because he knew, and we've already covered it this morning, he knew that Jesus Christ would come through the Virgin Mary. And that was the prophecy given long before. So what does the devil attempt to do? What do the devil's children attempt to do? But step out and try to pollute that bloodline. So, we've already covered that both the books of Enoch and Jubilees go into greater detail about these Nephilim and or Watchers. And they were the reason that Noah's flood was sent. And, I might add, dear racial kinsfolk, that the account that we have within our own King James Version of the Bibles is undoubtedly sufficient enough to prove why all this transpired. By all documented reports, it was a combination of fallen angels that interbred with Adamic women and man's own predisposition to transgress Yahweh's commands that led to Yahweh God purging this district with water. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah that I mentioned in our last sermon, it was man that caused their own demise, not an evil god, we cannot say, hey, Yahweh God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, poor homosexuals. We cannot say, well, Yahweh God, why would you destroy the land round about Noah? All they were doing were was interbreeding with angels. <laughs> Dear friends, let's not forget that it was Jesus Christ who taught us. As it was in the times of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. As it was in the times of Noah when they were giving and taking and marriage and mixing. Fornication is exactly how it's going to be preceding the great white throne judgment. Preceding the second advent. So a word to the wise should be sufficient. But look around you, dear friends. Look at the world we live in. Do we see people intermixing? Indeed we do. And this was the very reason God destroyed Babylon. The very reason God set the flood in Noah's time. It's the very reason he destroyed the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and so forth. Don't make the same mistake, because that's exactly what they want you to do. They want you in their lie, or they want you dead. That is, the tares, the children of the devil. That's where they want you. Why? Because it'd be your fault if you violate the law. And they know that you'll blame God, oftentimes, but you can blame no one but yourself. There's not a single sodomite who could say, God was evil and destroyed me. When they had been forewarned, they were told, The law said, Thou shalt not be a sodomite. Thou shalt not lie with a man as with another woman. But they took it upon themselves and said, I want to do things my way. So let's cover this very briefly. That is the account that we read about in Genesis chapter 6, beginning right in verse 1. Genesis 6 verse 1, quote, It came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God, there's that term, angels and or morning stars, saw the daughters of men, there's that term, Adam, the daughters of the Adamites, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And Yahweh said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, for he is also flesh, yet his day shall be in hundred and twenty years. Now, 
That's the end of the quote in Genesis chapter 6, at least the first three verses. But what we see is through this rebelliousness, even then, on the part of the Adamite, not necessarily the fallen angels, Yahweh God was grieved. And not only that, shortened the Adamite's lifespan. Indeed, Adam lived in upwards of 800 years. But yet their lifespans became shorter and shorter and shorter. Now here we see in the times of Noah, Yahweh God shortens their lifespan yet again to 120 years. Where are you at today, dear friends? Because the average Israelite today lives about half of those years. Why? Because of iniquity. If we'll follow the law, our day shall be prolonged. That was the promise given of Yahweh God. But when we engage in iniquity... When we choose to mix, when we choose to do things our own way, well, Yahweh God will shorten our life. Your reward down here at least, that is a long life, is cut short. And what I'm pointing out with this isn't that Yahweh God said, hey, let's take these Nephilim, let's take these demons and reserve them. Let's destroy them from the face of the earth. The Adamite daughters and men and everybody else also was responsible for their part in it. And what they lost was like Adam. A long life. Adam lost eternal life. Even though he lived in upwards of a thousand years almost. But so also we did. There is always a consequence for sin. And we cannot say, hey, the serpent beguiled me. A fallen angel tricked me. When Jesus Christ has foretold you all things. So, as we've established the sons of Yahweh in these passages, are the angels that sinned, as per 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, because they kept not their first estate, according to Jude chapter 1, verse 6. We know here that in this context, this word man or men comes from the Hebrew word Adam, which is number 120. They were attractive. Naturally, they were. Our people still are more handsome and beautiful than the other nations. And because they were, well, these lawless angels sanctioned for themselves wives. They procreated with them to bring about the cursed Nephilim. Yahweh asserts in His coming judgment, giving man a time limit to repent before He even sent this flood. We can read about that ourselves in First Peter chapter 3, verse 20. And it was this cause, and for this purpose, that Noah was chosen. Why? Well, according to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, Noah was, quote-unquote, perfect within his generations, and or genios. He was perfect in his pedigree. Him and his family were spared because they had not intermixed, resulting in Nephilim. They had not brought forth bastards upon the face of the earth. They were chosen because of obedience. They were spared, more specifically, because Noah obeyed. So what I'm saying with this is you also obey, dear kinsfolk. Obey every word that Yahweh God says. If he tells you angels are literal, then they're literal. Take it at face value. That's what it is. If he tells you Satan fell from heaven, and Satan is the adversary of all things righteous and moral, then understand it. Don't deny it. Don't kick against it. Because that's exactly what these single seed liners do. They come along and they say the devil's not literal and then they have to spend years saving face, proving their point. And what they'll do is they'll skew a verse here, they'll skew a verse there to fit their agenda because they cannot accept the whole truth. We truly are stiff-necked. We truly are rebellious people. And oftentimes, I am sorry or I am wrong 
are the three hardest words for an Israelite man or woman to say. It's hard for us to admit fault, and our pastors oftentimes are even worse. We know that Pastor Peters, for a very brief point, taught that there was no literal devil. It only lasted about a month or two, but he repented. He said, I'm wrong. I was beguiled. I was deceived. And Pastor Pete Peters, after the fact, went right back to preaching that the devil's literal. Makes perfect sense, does it not? The Word of God says that Satan is literal. But the biblical narrative continues in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. Quote, There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It grieves Yahweh God to know that the thoughts of men are evil. That He puts light out here for us, but yet men oftentimes prefer darkness. They choose it over light because it's easier. And within darkness, within sin, there's no accountability, at least to the natural man. Of course, there is accountability and judgment, but the natural man comes along and thinks he can sin and get by. So also did these angels. They got lifted up. They believed. They said, hey, you know what? I can do what I want. And as a result, so also did the Adamites. There was no consequence. And when there is no consequence for sin, man gets lifted up, they get empowered, and eventually their thoughts are evil continually. Men are liars. What does that say for the man who comes along and says, I've never lied, I've never sinned? Well, Scripture says they're liars. And you should mark them for that aspect. But what we need to see is this. When sodomites, when pedophiles are not punished by a healthy society... Eventually, they will become empowered, they'll become lifted up, and they'll say, I've done no evil. They'll be able to go out and charge other people continually. They'll be able to run their mouth that should be dead against the saints. And that's what we see, and that is why there always has to be a consequence for sin. Cause and effect. No matter what you do, there is a consequence, be it positive or negative. So my advice to you, dear listeners, be on the proper side of the fence. Be in Yahweh's camp because you're either a slave to the world or you are a slave to Yahweh God. Servant is what the King James does. But you cannot serve both. God or mammon, not both. No gray area with Yahweh God. You cannot sit on the fence. You're either in His grace and accepted with Him because you acknowledge your transgressions, for example. You're not so lifted up like a Pharisee. You say, I've done no sin. I never lie. I'm not evil. I can judge everybody. Or you admit it. Yes. We're evil, but thank God for grace. How hard is that, dear friends? Well, for some people it's hard. But Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says, Yahweh God was grieved. He saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and every, every, not some, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, who? The Adamite men, was only evil continually. So, because they were not perfect in their generations by engaging in mixing, the resulting offspring of these unholy unions brings forth the iniquitous nephilim and or demons, technically. A majority of Adamites were persistently wicked in thought and deed, and for this cause Yahweh eventually sends the deluge to purge the earth of their iniquity. God becomes more angered with man in this account, so 
many of these resulting progeny do make it through the flood. Let me repeat that again. Many of these evil progeny do. And I've covered this before in my Gospel on John, Gospel of Mark. They had to make it through. So later, many of these bastards could give a testimony for Jesus Christ. But we can read about some of the resulting progeny that made it through the flood in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, and also in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11, where it mentions the Kenite. And we know the word Kenite, as per the Strong's Concordance, means son of Cain, more specifically the children of Cain. What I'm pointing out is there is truly always a consequence of sin. One of the most famous mixed-breed bastards out there would be considered Goliath of Gath. We can read about him, of course, in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. But he was a direct descendant of the Nephilim, and he made it through. This is why Goliath was considered to be a giant, a tyrant. He wasn't 500 feet tall, but he was bigger than us, and stronger in might. Does that remind you of anybody today, dear kinsfolk? <laughs> so be on guard against these false prophets who want to come along and tell you that the non-whites are the direct descendants of angels. If that theory was true, then the non-whites would be smarter than we are. Because the angels, for lack of a better term, are the right hand of God. They do His bidding and they give the law. They know the law. Why is it that many of these non-Israelite people have no moral compass? It's because they are not Israelites. But they most assuredly are not the offspring of the fallen angels. So it is Yahweh God who will make His pronouncement. And of course, we read this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. Quote, It repented Yahweh that he had made man on the earth. Stopping right there. It repented Yahweh. How does that make you feel? To know that Yahweh God set aside a little bit of the arets, the earth, the red clay, to create out of man. And that they went into apostasy. That they went into rebelliousness. How does that make you feel to know that Yahweh God was repentant, upset that he had made Adamite men on earth? And it grieved him at his heart. It hurt him. Yahweh God truly did create us in his image. When we feel emotions of jealousy or anger, we should understand the reason we feel that is because we are created in the image of God. That should give you some meekness, some humbleness. Should not lift you up and make you say, well, you know what? I'm a little higher than the angels. I'm going to judge angels. After all, aren't I great? No, you're evil. You're wicked. And even though that unruly lot at the times of Noah was destroyed, there's a valuable teaching for each and every one of us today. Because the New Testament says, let God be true and every man be a liar. We all lie. Only the most perverted liar will say, I never lie. <laughs> Just as the insane say everyone else is insane, but I'm healthy. So it's up to you to truly use your discernment to be as wise as serpent. So it grieved Yahweh God at his heart, continuing on in Genesis chapter 6. And Yahweh said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. Yahweh God gives to us good gifts. And man will take those gifts and spit in the eye of God and say it's not good enough. Man will come along and say, I know, Yahweh God, you delivered us during the exodus from the clutches of Pharaoh. But now, where's our manna? 
Where, where is our temple? Where is our ruler? Where is our taskmaster? They cannot be patient. They cannot wait on Yahweh God. So, what should be noticed here is that those fallen were able to seduce mankind through their own women because they're considered to be the weaker vessel. And of course, that's confirmed in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Yahweh being repentant at man's wickedness is not a sign that he erred during creation, dear kinsfolk. He did not mess up. But rather, it's another proof that mankind has a propensity to sin. That they truly do prefer lies over truth. They truly do prefer darkness over light. Why? Well, my opinion of it is this. Because within the light, because within the truth, there's much accountability. And the reality of it is most people out there, even those who profess to be Christians, do not want to be accountable. They don't want to know that the Jew is contrary to all men because as a result, well, they can't go to their Judeo-Christian church. As a result, they might have a falling out with their sister or their brother or their siblings, their mother. But whatever it is, we must side with truth. Truth is fixed. It's universal. It's not about to change. So what I'm pointing out is Yahweh God did not err. As many people want to come along and say, well, Cain was a murderer. God made him that way. No, he didn't. The devil's meddling and perverting made him that way. Everything that Yahweh God created in the very beginning was good. It was perfect. Leave it to man to come along, to fornicate, meaning to mix, to admix, to adulterate, to pervert it and pass it off as his own and say, look what I created. Men call themselves inventors, but they invent nothing outside of those things that Yahweh God already created. They cannot create soil. They cannot create oxygen. They cannot cause a tree to grow out of nothing by speaking it. Yet Yahweh God can. If you require a deeper study into these mixing nephilim that we've already covered this morning, I invite you, dear friends, to swing by covenantpeoplesministry.org. Of course, the address is given at the beginning, the intermission, and at the end of these particular sermons, and download my two-part series called Noah's Flood, Flesh or Beast. It was written in the year 2006. Because those who dismiss the biblical reality of fallen angels, they're either unlearned or intellectually dishonest. They cannot be in the middle area. They're either ignorant because they want to come along and say, hey, I don't understand that Archangelos means Archangel. Or, they're straightforward false prophets. They're intellectually dishonest. They want to mislead you. And why? When someone comes along and tries to mislead you, the first question that should enter into your mind is why? Why would a man come along and attempt to spend so much time devoted to proving that the devil's not literal unless he was a child of the devil? There's nothing to be gained from that. When the whole of Scripture proves the devil is real, and I prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt from three early church fathers that they accepted the reality of Satan and fallen angels. They'll come along and they'll lie to you. They'll say, hey, well, you know, there's no books from the early church fathers that say angels are literal. You won't read about Satan in these historical books. But yet we do, don't we? The first part and in this part, I've covered numerous admonitions against the mixing of Thelium. From the book of Enoch, from the book of Jubilees, from the early church fathers, and from our own Bibles, from the narrative in Genesis chapter 6. They're all similar. They all say the same thing. So understand that we read in Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 about Lucifer, about Satan. And it says, I beheld Satan fall from heaven even then. 
When Jesus Christ says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, well, that's because Lucifer did the same thing. And no man can fall from heaven. Why? Well, no man has seen God, according to John chapter 1, verse 18. No man. Period. So this must be an angel. Of course, you've got it. The teaching of angels is important because Jesus tells us, quote, pay close attention, this is Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39, quote, As the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not, until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. What's Jesus Christ saying here in Matthew chapter 24? He's saying that when He returns to exercise judgment, I might add, it's going to be exactly like it was in the times of Noah. And that it was the reason God sent the flood in the first place. Disobedience. Not because He's angry. Not because He looks and says, Hey, who am I going to zap today? So, some identity pastors do come along and they pretend to preach the Mosaic Law. But they also, for example, will refuse the stoning of false prophets like themselves. Or they allow women to teach men the scriptures because they ignore the writings of Paul. The numerous miracles and actions ascribed to angels in the Bible are downright impossible to be fulfilled by simple men. And some of these dealings will be covered in the next sermon. And of course, I invite you to swing by next Wednesday and hear that for yourself. The fact that these false prophets are among us is nothing new. And we can read about that in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, where it says there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you. Shall be false prophets. Not might, but shall. In this same study, dear friends, in future segments, we're going to cover the story of Susanna. We're going to look deeper into Daniel. We're going to look into the story of Bell and the dragon. We're going to look at ministering spirits. We're going to even go in the next sermon, which is Wednesday night, and we're going to take a look at the host of heaven, what they're created for, the actual angels themselves. And we're going to give a few examples of modern Sadducees. Well, we know that Paul taught in Acts chapter 23, verse 8, that, quote, The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angels nor spirit, end quote. So it's not surprising, is it, when we understand that there truly is no new thing under the sun, it's not surprising to understand that these Sadducees are still here with us. Within Christian identity, they'll say angels aren't literal, angels are just men. Angel means messenger. Well, they're a Sadducee. And we also have the Pharisees with us. The Pharisees who come along and we're separatists, which is what the word means. They separate themselves off. They say, I'm 100% Israelite. I'm not going to have any dealings with this guy. His eyes are brown. His hair is black. They were the very people that Jesus Christ would say, you know, Yahweh God could raise up stones to Abraham's seed. Not that Abraham's seed was not important, but that when you go out and you make a religion centered around your flesh, you're no different than the pagans you rail against. How are you any different than the secularist? How are you any different than those Catholics who cannot bring their own flesh under subjection so they justify the eating of pork? They justify premarital sex. They justify all these abominations that make us unclean. We already covered it in this Sunday's sermon. Those that were unclean, those who fornicated, and those who refused to obey Yahweh's law were the reason that he sent the flood during the time of the Nephilim. That is why. And it shall be no different today. 
There is a great mixing going on today, dear kinsfolk, and adulteration in any form, as per the words of God, is forbidden. Adulteration of our bloodlines, adulteration of our fabrics, adulteration of the marriage bed, and adulteration, period. We cannot add to nor take away. That is the modus operandi of the devil. That's what he does. He adds to and takes away from Yahweh's words, and that is exactly what he does today. No different. He'll come along, he'll throw you 90% truth, and then he'll slip in the guile by saying, you know what? Angels aren't literal. Why? Because he wants you to be seduced by one. And as soon as you believe that, you're no longer looking at the spiritual end of things. You're looking at the flesh. And I've proven in just these two parts that angels appear as men. In fact, we began this study this Sunday on that premise. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Angels are not men, dear kinsfolk, but they can take on the appearance of men as could God. So, do not make the mistake. Do not be a Pharisee. Do not be a Sadducee and deny the aspect of angels. In doing so, you will deny so many other pertinent points in Scripture. And not only that, you will deny many blessings that Yahweh God wants to send for you within your life. And so, Dear kinsfolk, I'll invite you to swing by next Wednesday at 7 p.m., same time, same place, to hear the next part in this study on angels. And I'm glad to actually be bringing this forth to you now in this year 2013. The Morning Stars, for lack of a better term, was covered in 2007. In fact, it was all I did in 2007, with the exception of, I think, two other sermons, Judaism Has No Devil, and maybe one other. But in essence, it took me a whole year to write The Morning Stars off and on. And I'm able to come along now and use it as basically notes to expand upon it five years after the fact and take these 20-minute sermons and expand them to 70-some-odd minutes. The reason for that is because I want you to understand these people are going to attack each other. They're going to defend themselves from charges against one another. They may even teach from an apocryphal book or from the King James Version of the Bible. But very few of them will teach you the reality of angels. Why? Well, I don't know. The reality of it is, is we cannot consider ourselves to be dual seed-line Christian identity without teaching about angels. And somehow or another, a lot of these so-called Christian identity passers miss the mark because they just avoid it altogether. Or they'll justify it away and say, you know what? Cain was the first Negro. When I look at your average non-whites, what I see is that they lack a moral compass. They do not have the law written upon their heart, and as a result, they cannot cease from sin. Now, you would think, if they were descended from the Nephilim, or Nephilim in general, themselves, that they would at least know the law. These angels that broke through on Mount Hermon, that we read about in The Secrets of Enoch, they had a form of repentance. They knew they'd done wrong. Yet many of these false prophet bastards will not. They say, I've done no evil. That's how you know they truly are. And so, thank you for joining me this Sunday morning. I believe it's September 1st. We're starting a whole new month. So thank each and every one of you, especially those of you on YouTube who comment on these videos. And not only that, give timestamps for your favorite quotes. That means the most to me, dear kinsfolk. Why? Because it means you're listening. That means more than any money any book of stamps, 
anything you could send this ministry. And again, I would like to invite you, if you feel inclined to support this ministry, never hesitate to write or contact us. Never hesitate to send your financial support, to send Bibles that we can distribute, or just send a letter of encouragement. Hey, I've received a couple of those this month, in fact. One person wrote me and uh, found me on YouTube, of all places. Ironic. And he came along and he said, You know what? I really enjoyed your lost gospel of Peter. If you look at my statistics on YouTube, you'll see that the Gnostic texts like the Gospel of Mary, the uh, Serpent Seed Doctrine, and the uh, Lost Gospel of Peter, and the Infancy of Christ happen to be my most popular. Many people came against the Gnostics back in those days. Many people came against them and said, you know what, they were heretics. But so also they do with the true prophets. And I'll be the first to admit that there are variations between these texts. For example, the Gospel of Mary versus the infancy of Jesus Christ says that Joseph was a widower, and one says Joseph was a divorcee. But they're not necessarily inconsistencies, rather than they are interpretations. I find, in general, many of the non-canonized apocryphal texts and the Gnostic texts align perfectly with Scripture. So much so, that when they do conflict with Scripture... It's so blatant, it's so obvious that it's easy to mark and identify. Study to show yourself approved. Many of my listeners have been studying and reading the Bible for 20 years, and they're ready for a bigger, stronger meat of a meal. They want to hear the Gospel of Mary. They want to hear the lost Gospel of Peter. Why? So it can edify their own walk within the Word of God. That's why I preach it. What would you rather me do, dear friends, those who want to attack me for preaching these texts? Would you rather me go and watch television? Would you rather me not preach at all? Or take one verse and rattle out of my neck for hours like people like uh, Billy Graham and Joel Osteen do? Well, dear friends, it's simply not going to happen. Not under my leadership, not under my ministry. Whatever truth it is that Yahweh God gives to me, I promise you, dear listener, that I'll relay that truth to you in the best method I know how. And so, until next Wednesday... Dear friends, this is Pastor Visser once again from the Covenant People's Church and Ministry once again wishing you and yours great studies. Thank each and every one of you that have sent support. Please continue to do so. Great studies. War for Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.